The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. Navigating through the minefield of misinformation, intelligence operations, predictive programming. This is Connecting the Dots with Matt Arrett on today's News Talk TNT Radio. All right, we're back for the second hour with Anton Shakin, who is gracious enough to continue uh, discussing some matters of philosophy, history, uh, and really matters of, of principles, universal principles that we can all understand, discover, and act according to um, as we navigate through this world of misinformation, but also shape a better future that that is so desperately needed. The oligarchy that has been latched on almost like a parasite onto a host for for far too long um, has been thriving off of people who lack reasonable creative imagination, an ability to imagine reasonably pathways that are viable towards futures that are both necessary and possible and act accordingly, even though it might mean um, taking risks um, as Martin Luther King or Malcolm X or John F. Kennedy or any of the people who we admire so much, Lincoln, that we've been discussing any of these people who um, really rose to the challenge, rose to the occasion on the stage of history, and even at the cost of their lives, were animated by something much more noble than a lot of people realize. Uh, so it's really important that we can all explore and tap into that that universal well that they were able to to drink from and to tap and to work on uh, as we cultivate and craft our identities. What choice of identity do we want to have that we leave for the future? So, uh, Anton, I really appreciate the fact that this. Um, moral insight really animates the decades of work and research that you've put in, as well as the the current book or book series on who we are, redefining what it what it means to be American, what it means to be a human being, a real citizen, and not just a subject. Um, we, there was something you said in the previous segment, uh, which was that the Cherokees were actually during the American Revolution working or influenced by British imperial policy and uh, and acting as instruments of the British Empire. But then I had read that by the mid or early 19th century, the Cherokees were among the most um, enthusiastic of the native tribes of North That's America right. to embrace technology. Could you say a little bit more about That's how right. that happened? That sounds like a paradox to me. How did how did how did they go from yes, from one degree to another? The Cherokees were what were what were they were known as a civilized tribe by the known by the, the American settlers uh, early on, and uh, they went back to that uh, that friendly aspect uh, with when the U.S. got its independence and President Washington and our country made treaties with them, uh, uh, guaranteeing that they could stay on their land. And again, any white man comes in and makes claims on this. Uh, you can do what, with him what you want. So uh, there was a movement of um, what were known as uh, missionaries, uh, Christian missionaries who came down from uh, Massachusetts, American Board of Commissioners for Foreign Missions, they were called. And they were uh, doing their best to extend a real hand of friendship. And they were invited to stay in the Cherokee territory by the Cherokees. And they were they were not only doing the gospel, but they were uh, uh, teachers uh, uh, for, uh, you know, advancement in different aspects of modern life. Uh, 
And so actually Georgia arrested them, those missionaries, and that was the case that went up to the Supreme Court, that uh, the, the state of Georgia wanted to grab the Cherokee land, and the Cherokees said, we want these teachers here that, were, that are being paid by the federal government to help us. So this is, this is what was going on. Andrew Jackson and, and the slave owners uh, destroyed the honor of the country by, by uh, uh, evicting these people from their ancestral lands. Um, but uh, I want to I go to something that people saw on the break that we just had. There was an interchange with the Biden administration in a press conference, and they were talking about the Secretary of Defense uh, and uh, I, I'm, I'm getting to this because this, the whole subject that we're dealing with requires a very painful, very difficult reassessment of the way people look at the world and life. It's not that it's that complicated. It's that you have to go through the pain of recognizing that you haven't paid attention to the real world and you've caused harm. So in this interchange that we saw, uh, some guy in the press conference asked the Biden spokesman about the Secretary of Defense having been hospitalized but not telling the administration about it. And that, that was the subject of this discussion Oh, they committed a crime by not telling the president that the guy was in the hospital. Well, wait a minute. How about the fact that while this man was in the hospital, from his hospital bed, he ordered a new war to start. He ordered the bombing of Yemen. Why didn't you bring that up? Well, because <laughs> Americans right. now, Democrats and Republicans, Maybe not so much independents, I don't know, but definitely Democrats and Republicans look at the world in a way that eliminates most of the world. I guess you call that having blinders on, but this is real blinders. And they, they, mm. they like to look at what used to be called domestic issues, not foreign issues. Uh, well, you know, Germans had a foreign policy under Hitler that in involved bombing and murder all over the world, really, if you add in the Japanese and, and Italians. And the Germans, who weren't over in some other foreign country, only saw what was happening in Germany. They had a jobs policy. They had this and that. You know, they, you know oh, Hitler did good things for the people. I'm interested in domestic issues. You're insane. Where's your neighbor? Since we have the telephone and the telegraph and the steamship, our neighbors are the world. And of course, in ancient times, that was also true. People knew about the rest of the world in ancient times, and they mm -hmm. traded and they traveled. So you're, you're telling a lie, and you're lying to yourself if you say, I'm looking at reality when I shut out these horrible or and correctable things that are going on. This is, you also have to look at the history of all this. 
including what you did in the past, what your people did in the past, that was good, that was higher. Yeah. That's even harder to look at. You, it makes you feel sick to see the great good that we did for the world and to say we're not doing that good now. What is the value? I really thought about your, it that way. That, that's country. actually that's that's very insightful. I, I was because I, I was always kind of confounded why people wouldn't be more enthusiastic to embrace uh, these wonderful suppressed stories of great goodness um, within Canada's deep past, within the U.S. deep past, within European deep past. Why? 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 Where is this mental barrier coming from? Coming from and. I, I never thought about it the way you just pointed it out, that it, it would create a standard that we fall so short of that it's like almost our minds are, are afraid of the repercussions of having a better standard to judge our current uh, failures. That's that's an And that's the idea. secret of history. That is the secret huh. right there. The 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 people, the powers of the earth, the false uh, usurpers of power, bankers, and you know, in in, in medieval, you know, feudalism, and and t today, transatlantic bankers, offshore people, they want to suppress the idea of the good in history. They want to suppress the uh, the the philosophy, uh, the science, and the statecraft. And the and the classics of of music even by by introducing ugliness, they want to suppress anything that is higher in the past because it is this accomplishment that should be our identity, and therefore mm -hmm. it, it, you have this is the hard thing for people is to embrace this heritage and say that's who we are. Uh, you know, well, people say, well, it's not realistic. There's so much evil. There's so much ugliness. There's so much big stuff going on that doesn't reflect anything good. No, you're wrong. You're totally wrong. I've used this analogy before, but think about the child that is conceived as a few cells in the mother's body. It's so tiny, it's insignificant, but the whole human race is created to nurture and take care of that tiny little thing to become the future of powerful and gorgeous things in the world. It's all about that little thing that's going to become powerful. So the good, the potentially good, and the historically good, the, the all of the people in the past who did good, uh, and who had some noble ideas and did something, that is who we are for sure. That's what we're, that's what we're created. That's, that's our, our claim to fame. Uh, mm. So uh, uh, right now, which presidential candidate is talking about this past? You know, RFK Jr. talks about his family being shot down because they were doing good things. But... There, you, you, he, I guess you could say he comes the closest to this. Trump talks about, you know, some past policies. Uh, but this, this is something that it, it, right now is the center of the world's uh, uh, needing, need, needful focus. 
what mm. is going to happen with America? What is America going to do? Is America going to, we, we, right now we're, lo we're losing. We're losing everywhere. We're headed into the ditch. And, you know, I guess many people in power say, well, let's take the rest of the world with us. We'll have more war. We'll spread this war in the Middle East. We'll bomb some new places. Get more resistance. We'll bomb it out. That's losing. You're losing. So rather than simply go down into the ditch, we have to have more pride in ourselves. That's mm. that that that's the, that's the paradox, the American paradox. Yeah, and they say that the the people often get the leaders that they that they deserve, uh, and in a sense, we have to if if we deserve better morally qualified leaders that have arisen as as we have seen examples of through your work and in research in the past before many of us were even born there were there were uh demonstrations of of a high moral caliber of individual citizen that took responsibility that rose on the state on the municipal and sometimes when fortunate on the federal level to do very very great goods but that means we have to put ourselves to a, or set ourselves to a higher standard of of moral and reasonable um, judgment as we judge ourselves to become better people and thus, you know, it, demand better things from those who we wish to represent us since we really need that, as you pointed out. And we we have all of the, the ingredients right now or the the uh, all of the signs of a, of a civilization on the on the brink of collapse, looking at history, all of the signs are there. We, we've checked off all the boxes. So there's a small window. We haven't the collapse hasn't physically struck yet. So there is a small window that is still there to move through, but it's getting smaller by the day. What I would I, I think on that note of ominous tension, <laughs> I'm going to, uh, I think, transition to a commercial break. Uh, we're going to come back and continue this this exploration into history and Anton's book, Who We Are, America's uh, Fight for Universal Progress from Franklin to Kennedy that can be purchased online. Volume one, volume two is coming out very soon. TNT Radio Live. We'll see you in a in a few short uh, seconds after these breaks. Rick Munn on TNT Radio. There was a, a statement that I saw last week that I thought was quite interesting from one of these uh, web spokespeople, the World Economic Forum spokesperson. And one thing that she said that I thought was quite interesting was she said, you know, um, there has been a little bit of a tail off with people buying into the vaccine narrative and she blamed that on people like us spreading so-called missing disinformation. She said that climate change was a little bit too much of an abstract concept for people to really grab and get their heads around so that's not really taking off the way they want to either and then she said something very interesting she said you know what when the water crisis comes people will understand that because it's simple and everybody needs water and if you don't have water for a few days at a time you'll know all about it so maybe you know we're hypothesizing a little bit about what's what it's going to take to grab people and bring them back on board again with a world economic forum type narrative could this be what it is locked in loaded with rick mon on today's news talk tnt radio when you can point me to an industry to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month virtually nine out of ten americans that's real that's substantive that's important and that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement 
It's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Now I want to say this, and I'm going to say it just once. This is today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, we're wel- welcome back for the second segment of the second hour with Anton Shakin. Now, Anton, um, a lot of people might hear some of the, our, our chat, what we'd said in the, the previous segment, and say, okay, well, these are really nice, broad principles and, and moral lessons, but is there any actual practical, actionable weight that is measurable, that is that expresses what we've been talking about in the, the, the facts on the ground throughout history? Are there any actual cases where this goodness really emerged that isn't just broad or general? Do you, do you have any any examples of, of something people could could put some meat on that bone? Well, if, if I, I would like to bring up uh, the U.S. and Asia, and then mm-hmm. I want to bring up Lincoln and money. Uh, cool. So in uh, the uh, the Lincoln policy of self government and nationalist economics was spread successfully from the United States to Japan. Uh, a, a dear friend of mine named Mark County, uh, who's passed away, was uh, has uh, wrote a book, it's not fully uh, developed yet, but about the US uh, input into Japan after the Civil War. Uh, and uh, we had a profound impact in helping Japan to rise as a great uh, technological and, and scientific power in the world. Uh, we tried to do this with China, uh, but we did have uh, many ways that were that that did influence China's uh, ability to withstand uh, uh, imperialism. Uh, and we failed in some other ways. Uh, but the 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 whole idea that was developed in the Lincoln era of uh, industrial progress as a deliberate national policy uh, was uh, was adopted by the Chinese first under Sun Yat-sen and then successfully under communism, and they have now gone away from really what what you would consider communism, even though they have what we talk about as an authoritarian government. But they are a successful civilization. Uh, of many thousands of years. It's, it's much more than the way some stupid opponent of, of China talks about them now. Uh, but we have had this, tr- this terrific uh, I- interchange between America and China. What was Lincoln's policy? I, 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 my book, uh, the vol- volume two, it concerns the Lincoln era primarily. And in chapter four of that book, I have, uh, it's entitled uh, Lincoln versus the money power. People get twisted into knots about money and the history of money. Uh, Lincoln's policy and that of uh, his uh, economic advisor, Carey, uh, Henry Carey, was that we have national sovereignty and we have self-government. And that you should have self-government for black people. That means that no white person should govern a black person without his consent. That's about a matter of self-government. But we also have national self-government, the right of the people to have a government to take care of their interests, not the interests of great powers in the world, but the interests of the population. So part of this was in an emergency during the Civil War, in 1861 and two, 
Uh, we, we couldn't pay for the vast expenditures we needed to fight the uh, breakup of the country by the slave owners. So we they, the first expedient was uh, greenbacks. That was a kind of paper currency that was uh, printed in, in the hundreds of millions. And the law to, to authorize that was put through Congress by Lincoln's allies. It was authorized by Lincoln. And it was fought against by the faction in New York and Boston and London, all working together to try to stop this and to eventually to try to take it down and, and, and extinguish and burn these things. They wanted to literally cremate them. That was the word they used because they hated the idea that Americans could choose to have the government run economics in their favor with tariffs, with other things. That's not crony capitalism, that's self-government. And mm. so there was a fight about this. Now, it, the leader of the opposition to this was, uh, uh, for a time, was a, a specific individual named James Gallatin, the son of the former Treasury Secretary, Albert Gallatin, who is a heritage in Geneva, uh, Switzerland. And these people did not believe in self-government. They believed that the elect of the world, they're originally Calvinists, and so this is their thinking, that the, the people that are, have been chosen by God to rule should rule uh, because they are not using the government to rule, they're using private power. Only use government when, when you really need to, like to break a strike or something like that. Uh, or, or have a little war. But normally, you just have the power of money. And he, the Gallatin family, uh, sponsored the revival of Jeremy Bentham. That was their hero. Bentham was the British intelligence figure. I, I cover him heavily in my book, the first volume. Uh, he was a, 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 man, a man who hated the United States. Uh, he 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 wrote the attack on the Declaration of Independence, but he he was a a, a liberal of his day, uh, and his his creed was that man had the right to do anything as long as it didn't interfere with the power of this uh, set of of rulers through money, and so you had the right to have homosexuality, you had the right to uh, to use your money in any way you wanted, including the right to have any interest rate. So he wrote in favor of uh, uh, usury. This was revived by the Gallatin family repeatedly and in the period when they were opposing the Lincoln's law. Just to be clear, we're not against people being gay. We're just saying that Jeremy Bentham was a particular oh. degenerate. I believe really that you have the right to do to have any any kind of sex you want to have. I believe that you have the right to do anything you want to with your money, but you don't have the right to use your thinking or your money to destroy other people, to crush them, yeah. to control the like, government. 
yeah 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 well i think that's the thing with with the 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 insidiousness of people like bentham uh is that they they were very very sophisticated practitioners of cultural warfare and understood that there was a science of vice that could be deployed to get your 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 enemies to destroy themselves by embracing the worst part of themselves that would then make them more susceptible to being dominated by the the superior class that you are are a part of so yeah, the, you zeroing in on Jeremy Bentham as as a key yes. player in the British Empire grand strategy is very important. Yeah, so and the fact that he's this. being revived by the American uh, branch of the, the British deep state is is very interesting. I didn't know that. I know, but look at this this debate about the greenbacks. Hmm. If you have a large enough uh, uh, amount of of currency and credit that is deployed into the economy. Uh, and you have the a deliberate policy of encouraging the investment of that large credit and currency into uh, productive channels so that people are, are really um, engaged in profitable and, and wealth creation uh, uh, production, agriculture, industry, science, modern uh, advances. You're not going to have inflation. And... The people will will be will be well off, especially if there are things like labor unions and regulations on huge corporations, so they don't run amok, right? Mm-hmm. But but you, we we believe in private property. It it's a better system than having some you know emperor rule everything and tell you what to do, whatever you call it. But the, the private property is not running all of the industry in the country by one little bank or something that's not how can you call that private who's the who's the person there is no person it's 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 a soulless institution that's simply crushing everybody that's not private property yeah. so no, what it's, like, it's like feudal, is, feudal capitalism when somebody says yeah. you own nothing and be happy well i mean someone's going to own the thing you're going to be renting if we're all going to be renting someone's owning the thing we're renting so it's just it's yeah. feudalism masquerading as capitalism so that this this is where the this is shaping the the, the the logic in in which the greenbacks are emerging is as something people I think have heard about but they don't really have it's something that's been very obscured so what is what is the greenback and like how did Lincoln wage this economic war uh, so in defense of the people you got to get down to the real the real thing that really happened in our history the mm. people who were for the greenbacks who wanted to have an ample federal currency of paper money and federally regulated banks in our country. Those people I call economic nationalists. And they their, their headquarters was Philadelphia. And they were the most radical in favor of the rights of black people and freed slaves. The people who were against the greenbacks, who wanted to have a contraction of the currency so only those who held gold would be rich and everybody else would be crushed and out of work those people were racists and wanted to destroy the possibility of progress in the south they wanted cheap labor in the south in the reconstruction period and so okay now we don't have legal slavery anymore let's have plantations again that have so-called free labor, white and black, but particularly black people, 
and and we will have them just be uh, under the power of, of these white uh, former slave owners because there's no other industry there. There's no other jobs available. You have to take that job at any wage they offer it to you. Those are the two sides. And, and you, there's no alternate history where there's some freedom-loving Austrian school economics going on where the people benefit from that and there's no government that's in the way of the freedom of people to do what they want with their money. That, that never happened. There's never been a development of a country under, under a system like that. Uh, Britain didn't develop that way. Britain had high tariffs. They had monstrous interference by the government in everything all over the world to other countries as well as their own in a, in a, in a terrible way. We don't want that much government interference. So our system is an easy government encouragement of progress where the government concentrates on the things that it can organize the best like the space program or like these great projects for uh, railroads and, and other things in our past government uh, help for agriculture and this always always in our country the people who had that policy for in our country were offering it and successfully getting it out to other countries they we wanted other countries to become powerful and we had we had a partnership for the technology in other countries this was especially with thomas edison and his sponsors uh so this is the hand of friendship that was successful but the people in, in this faction uh versus the other faction the 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 the, the progress faction believed in having a the greenbacks and having uh, uh, paper money ample and and at the same time an investment strategy to to build up the power of the people to produce and and that's that's how we were successful uh we at a certain point you you the other side developed terrible power over the country with uh, coming in from Britain like the Morgan family uh, and they uh, they took over our industries they took power in 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 the government and uh, this is where we we went off the rails and we we got developed these imperial uh, uh, crimes uh, that, that took place under Teddy Roosevelt in the 20s, the people that promoted fascism from New York and from London, their, their uh, predecessors in the same faction were these uh, free trade, uh, uh, tight money people uh, who, who destroyed reconstruction and didn't allow for the South to be really transformed. So the, the, all these things were, were fought out in our country's history. Yeah, I was always uh, confused about that. Like, why when you had this vision for um, reconstruction that on the books looked really good, why why didn't it happen? This idea of an industrial renaissance for we we saw it we saw it manifesting with what the Greenbacks were doing to promote industry and 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 rail, especially the transcontinental. But it didn't continue, even though you had people like Ulysses S. Grant, who 
was very much in support of this orientation, but it didn't it didn't pan out. So uh, could you say a little bit more about why it was sabotaged or, or why didn't it work yeah, out? He was Grant was a very uh, strong advocate for the rights of the freed slaves. Uh, after fighting against slavery, you know, at the head of the army in the war. Uh, and he was also in favor of these in, in, these great uh, industrial uh, uh, enterprises like the Transcontinental Railroad and the industries that were being built up. The steel industry was built by these uh, uh, Greenbacks people. Advocates of Greenbacks built the steel mills. There, it wasn't tight money people. It wasn't these feudalists. So, uh, but Grant was beset by a revolt in the Republican Party, where uh, these are so-called liberal Republicans. These are Boston and New York, particularly Boston reformers, and they ran again, ran candidates against uh, uh, Grant for the second term. But they were always putting him under pressure: free trade uh, and tight money. And forget about the black people in the South. Let the white people take take power again uh, in the South. Uh, Grant was not uh, 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 totally wise about financial affairs. Uh, and uh, he was surrounded by uh, people who befriended him, who were these banking oligarchs, some of them in New York, some in Boston, some in Philadelphia, the, the Drexel family. Uh, so what 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 ended up happening is that he was forced to abandon this the troops being in the South, uh, and really the issue. And I go through through this in a very detailed and 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 deep way. I spent a lot of work on this. The real issue was, what are you going to do to change the South? Are you going to eliminate the plantation system? Are you going to have, now you have this, this whole spine of mountains that goes all the way down to Alabama from, from the north. It's in, it's, uh, not the coastal area, but it's the Appalachian and and in this in these mountains are coal and iron and other minerals, and there are people there, a hardy bunch of people that are more independent. They're farmers, and they don't agree with the the power of these coastal large plantation owners. So what Lincoln and Kerry and the best of these American patriots proposed, let's work with those people. Let's give them the power that they need. Let's, let's encourage industries. Let's encourage investment. Let's have federal subsidies to build railroads, connect them to the North, develop these industries, get millions of people going, bring in people, new people in there, change the character of the South. You know, you see this not only in the Tennessee Valley uh, Authority of, of Franklin Roosevelt later on, where he changed the South in that way, but you also see it in Huntsville, Alabama, this, this center of the space program. People in those mm -hmm. regions have always admired progress if you give them a chance to be smarter yeah. than the average dumb 
you know, person in, in that uh, planter-dominated society. Who is, they're encouraging people to be stupid. That's the whole idea of slavery. You're encouraging mm -hmm. everyone to be stupid, and then the planters suppose, uh, 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 you know, adopt this, this English-affected uh, you know, culture, and they read these yeah, yeah. novels by Scott and, and, and go to balls and stuff, but they're encouraging everyone to be stupid. There's no education. There's nothing. So the whole yeah. issue was not just voting. You know, right now, everybody is twisted everywhere about voting and about how evil Trump is. And, and they're not concentrating on what do people need? You know, we have 100,000 people dying every year from drug overdoses, from opioids. Why? Let's look at that. Well, I just heard hearings uh, uh, on C-SPAN uh, yesterday, and and they're, they're saying the reason that they're dying from these opioids, 100,000 a year, is because China is an evil country. And they're exporting the chemicals uh, of that go into fentanyl. And what we need to do is have more conflict with China and sanctions. Mm. And and you're 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 insane. We need cooperation with this other country, yeah. this mighty other country, and let's solve these problems together. We have a problem. Well, it, it, it again, this country. it again reminds me of that of that Bible. Um, a lot of a lot of great stuff in the Bible, eh? Like don't don't judge the splinter in your brother's eye before you you remove the right. log in your own, right? And I mean, at there the end of the is. day, why did we get get rid of all of our industries um, such that China became in the consumer globalization sort of uh, insanity of it all. Why did they become the producer of all of the pharmaceutical goods for the things that we used to make ourselves? Which, of course, after after we became addicted to cheap, cheap labor from China and, and we made, and China became the producer of of all of those pharmaceutical products. Yeah, you could take an, a bunch of elements of things, get it out of China and then combine it into bad things. It doesn't mean that China's trying to destroy us in a reverse opium us. war. It just means Huh? China yeah. needs so us. So all that to say, let let's let's continue this after a short successful. break. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So let's let's go for a quick short quick short break and we'll go back. We'll come back after uh, a few remarks from our sponsors on TNT Radio Live. JDRF's vision is to create a world without type one diabetes. The Type 1 Diabetes community is at the heart of everything JDRF does. We were founded by the Type 1 Diabetes community. In the main, we are governed by the Type 1 Diabetes community, we're energised by the Type 1 community, and we're accountable to the Type 1 Diabetes community. It's on their behalf that we exist, and it's on their behalf that we must succeed. JDRF exists to rid the world of type 1 diabetes. It's easy to say, but it's hard to do. So for us, that means rallying all the resources and all the people and all the organisations required to make that a reality as quickly as possible. The world's best researchers, exciting innovative companies and the passion of the type 1 diabetes community then delivered through the health system so lives get better every day, day after day, until the day we find a cure. To everybody in the type 1 diabetes community, no matter your age or stage with the disease, whether you were diagnosed recently or a long time ago, we need you to know that we are here working on your behalf to deliver a world without type 1 diabetes as quickly as we can. Thank you to everybody who supported JDRF in so many ways. You are making our vision of a world without type 1 diabetes possible. 
thing that drives me every day as a dad is him. Every day he's hungry for something. And there's this huge responsibility in making sure that he's a good person. I think the advice I would give is you don't need to know all the answers. It's okay to make mistakes. As long as it's coming from love, then it kind of starts to work itself out. Perception versus the truth. This is Connecting the Dots with Matt Aaron on today's News Talk TNT Radio. All right, we're back with the third segment of the second hour with Anton Chaikin. I What I loved about this whole two-hour um, really master class in, in, in large measure is that you've broken down a bunch of major core assumptions that are very dominant in uh, our world today, one of which being that either um, you can organize a society around the idea of decentralization with no federal power, the idea of the nation state utilizing federal power over that, ha- that influences the economy is antithetical to individual liberty. And the inverse side that says, no, we need proper um, top-down management of, of uh, economic systems and proper planning from the top, independent of what people want to do. And so you've got these debates and battles that are potentially going to plunge us once again into a new civil war in the in the west which it's artificial it's a chimera there's a bunch of false assumptions which you can have a coexistence of people of of farmers as you pointed out people who who are um small and medium industrialists while at the same time having their their liberties grow and have a strong nation at the same time that's right that these are not inc- intrinsically oppositional ideas. I love that. And, and they, yeah, I mean, just what you briefly went through regarding the American system expressing itself under Abraham Lincoln's lead and then all the way to the Tennessee Valley Authority when Lincoln's policy was being revived. Would you actually say that that was the revival under Franklin Roosevelt of Lincoln's policy or, or would you say it was something different? Uh, it definitely was Lincoln's policy to Franklin Roosevelt's father was uh, the president of, uh, for about a year, of the Southern Railway Security Company that was uh, a a subsidiary of the Pennsylvania Railroad. He was working in the South to build railroads there to transform the South. And it was Mm -hmm. was stopped by the the crushing of that faction uh, in the the, uh, collapse of uh, 1873 that was induced by these financiers, particularly Morgan. Wow. Anyway, so this is his tradition. Uh, but I wanted to I wanted to uh, tell a story that illustrates something about what I'm talking about. It's a personal story. I'm I'm going to include this in my chapter ten of my second volume of Who We Are. Uh, I, I hope to have that, you know, out uh, within a few months. Uh, the 10, 12 chapters. But this is about this fellow, William J. Palmer, who, who built up Colorado. Now, when he was a, a young man, uh, 23 years old, he was secretary to the president of the Pennsylvania Railroad, learning railroading and, and uh, you know, inve- experimenting with going away from uh, wood burning for trains very successful. He was largely responsible for that whole conversion that happened in our country. 
So anyway, while he was doing that job, uh, and he was very non-political and peace-loving guy, Quaker, uh, the Southern firebrands were, were starting to push for secession. In 1859, late in the year, he and a friend of his, a Quaker friend, decided to get in some lecturers from Boston who were abolitionists just to stir the pot because there were a lot of uh, pro-South people in Pennsylvania. And, and so uh, they, they brought in this guy named Curtis to give a lecture and you had to pay. It was a little venture they had. You had to pay a, for a ticket. 1,200 people came in. And this guy started his, was scheduled to do his speech right after John Brown was hanged for trying to have a slave revolt. You know, people may know about that. So uh, what happened is uh, here is uh, this guy comes in and a mob of people who hate the abolitionists forms outside this lecture hall. There's 1,200 people have bought tickets. The mayor uh, and the police chief said, don't hold this meeting. It's, you're going to have a riot. And Palmer and, and his friends said, even if we die, we're going to go ahead with this. For, because freedom of speech has to be upheld. And so there was a, uh, the, the police called off some other meetings in the town so they could have everybody, constant, all their resources here, there. And they brought in 600 police, every one of them with a, a loaded revolver. And there was a massive crowd of hateful people outside. Uh, they charged the meeting uh, twice, and the police charged at them. Uh, they threw bricks through the windows. Uh, they threw acid through the windows, and uh, somebody was blinded in the, in the uh, audience. Uh, at a certain point, they they started fires to try to burn down the building, and the uh, the uh, uh, Palmer and his friends uh, got the police to arrest the disruptors in the meeting and take them downstairs into a warehouse that was down there, and they told the mob leaders that if you burn the building down, your friends are going to burn to death. We have them held as hostages down there. They're prisoners. And that somewhat muted this. So Palmer was on the platform with, with a, a friend of his who was uh, named Judge uh, William Kelly, later a congressman. And they had the courage to go ahead with this meeting. Uh, and uh, the, the, the really remarkable part of this is that Palmer, as I mentioned, was not a political person. He, and he, he didn't even believe in fighting for, you know, anything. He, he was a Quaker. And he said that war is, is, is legalized murder unless you have justified war. And that's, when did that happen? Hmm. And then, you know, after that, he went to become a uh, a leader of the Republican uh, Party in Philadelphia, only for Lincoln's 
uh, uh, election. And there, there was a military uh, uh, mobilization for those young Republicans to sponsor Lincoln's election. They were called white awakes. They, they dressed in uniforms and they carried torches. This is while he's in a, a junior executive in the Pennsylvania Railroad. He's doing this, you know, at night. Or, or he took a day off. And then at a certain point, he decided, well, uh, I, I have a decision to make when the war started. Am I going to join the army and kill people? Or am I going to go by my conscience and, and stay away from killing people? Because Jesus says, don't kill people. And so these experiences that he had, these unusual episodes, helped to shape his thinking so that he made this very difficult decision to join the army and to, and to create his own troop. Uh, it, was, uh, it became the 15th uh, Cavalry Regiment uh, from Pennsylvania. And it was famous in the war because he was in advance of many of the battles. He, he fought all over with this picked troop of people. He was a fantastic leader fought all the way through the war to the end and beyond until they were demobilized. He won the Medal of Honor for taking his troops and capturing a hundred Confederates and their cannon uh, with his 200 men without losing a single man. He was very careful with the lives of his own people and with the lives of the civilians. So th this is a man who is struggling with his conscience. He never resolved this problem because it is, it is against divine law to kill other people. Even in a war, it's, it's murder. War is mm -hmm. murder. It's illegal by divine law. So prevent the war. Mm -hmm. Prevent it. Take measures of, uh, uh, that will, will, will be in the interest of the people that you're going to fight. Ahead of time, you know, the United States in recent decades has gone around and started with George Bush Sr. Well, we have to fight so-and-so to stand up for our principles. We didn't do that with Hitler. We don't want to appease. This is the new Hitler. He yeah. said that about Manuel Noriega, the president of Panama. Was, was he really a new Hitler? Was he going to take over the world? It's all lies. So prevent the war by measures that are in the interest of the people that you're going to fight. Do that now with Russia, especially with Russia. Help with the security of Russia and the development. Help make them more powerful. That's the only way to, that we're going to be safe. That's not appeasement. That's the, the, the war avoidance and, and mutual security uh, policy that, that Kennedy had. And by the way, Kennedy was the one who built up the USA in its power. That's how you become powerful, by aiding the development of others and by having a, a, a mature adult policy of civilization. Civilization is our only protection. And the civilization, as, as Helen Hunt Jackson in her book pointed out, has a duty, and, and, and otherwise it's doomed 
it won't be successful. Civilization has the duty to help those who are not part of that civilization if you if you're going to encounter them. You have to you have to have sympathy and respect for other people and you might learn something that will help you. You know they there was a debate about what was the history of the Indians. There was going a furious debate in the 19th century. Who are these people? Who are their ancestors? Uh and now we're discovering all of these ancient cities all over the Americas, especially like in the mm-hmm. Amazon jungle, there were massive cities. They just now uncovered a city down there that was, uh, I think it's 3,000 years old, at least 2,000 years old, 600 home sites, elevated platforms in the jungle. Now, it wasn't a jungle then. So yeah. have they had They, they had advanced irrigation technology. Yeah. No, I think that, that that's vital that, that there's, there's that contrast that you're able to bring in as well, that that it's not like what you're seeing with the natives when, uh, you know, uh, uh, even a couple hundred years ago, it's not like that's a crystallized thing. Everybody is a part of a process of either improvement or decline. And that's right. when you recognize that right. everything is a snapshot of African Africa used to have some of the most glorious advanced civilizations that have been app- suppressed the memory has been suppressed by collective uh, imperialists who have crushed the memories, burnt manuscripts so that there would be no collective memory of the greatness of the past. And the same thing, as you pointed out, for the Amazons, the North American great civilizations that went back way before white man set foot in North America or any of the Americas. Right. It's it, There's been an effort to cut off the natives from that continuity that they're a part of. That's their heritage to be industrial, advanced scientific societies that that. There's been really an effort. It's it's incredible, eh? Yeah, the slave the slave empires from Europe, British, D- uh, Dutch, and others went into Africa, forbid the introduction of modern machinery there. Yeah, they they oh. developed mining, but they never let the native peoples have any machinery because, as Carey put it, they wanted to cheapen the labor. If you have people learning skills and or relearning skills on a new basis, then they're going to be more valuable people and their neighbor won't allow them to be captured by uh, foreign pirates who are posing as, you know, Christians who, who came in there. This is the um, pirates. I mean, the British Empire. That's what happened. The, the British forbid the introduction of Western ways into Western ways. What's Western? Industry. No, you can't. They can't have Western ways. We want them to be primitive. That way we will rule them. And that's something that is sticks in the craw of Americans today. Uh, you know, you, you hear this line, well, don't impose your Western ways on these other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, where this are we is, doing just, that? That's never happened. Is it, are we imposing Western ways by bombing somebody? That's not imposing yeah, yeah. anything except death. That's not Western ways. The good thing about Western ways is when somebody makes a good living, he knows how to do something, knows how to build things. Anton, with these universal lessons, thank you so much. I, I can only encourage people, I can't encourage people enough to go to antonshaken.substack.com. I'm a subscriber, I'm a paid subscriber. 
This is one of the most qualitatively important things to subscribe to and read your book. So read Anton's book, whowear.com is the website. You can find it there or on Amazon. Pick up Who We Are, uh, volume one, volume two is coming out soon. Anton, thank you so much for taking this time and uh, elucidating all of us. Thank you, Matt. All right. All right. Till the next hour. <laughs>